Hey everybody, Kendra the Vet Tech here, and I'm here today to start off a little three-episode mini-series on your options for schooling to become a credentialed veterinary technician. So today we're going to start with a community college program, and here with me today I have an instructor from my alma mater, the Maplewoods Veterinary Technology Program. I have Natalie, a registered veterinary technician. So welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much for joining us again. Awesome. Thanks for having, having me. Good to be here. Yeah, and what I'd like to do today is just go over the basic broad overview of a community college, you know, the application interview process, and then what the two-year program looks like broken down. And I will tell you guys, make sure you keep your eyes and options open for different community colleges in your area. When I was looking into programs, I, I live in Kansas and I was looking for programs in Kansas at the time. And Maple Woods was just across the border in Missouri that was actually closer to me than any of the Kansas programs. And that program was mentioned while I was doing some shadowing. So just make sure you widen out your radius a little bit and check out all of your options before you commit to a certain community college. So we'll get started here. And the first step that you have for community college, Natalie, is the application and the interview process. And we touched on that briefly in our previous episode, but could you take us through those steps or what that looks like? Sure. So, you know, I can kind of tell you what we do. And I would say that uh, a lot of programs are going to be very similar to this, but may have little nuances here and there um, that are slightly different. But for Maplewoods, we have kind of a listing on our website. It's kind of a step-by-step process to follow through. And so it kind of lines things out for you as far as, you know, first, we need to apply to the college. Second, you do need to complete some general education courses or, or prerequisites. And so for our program, that's um, an English bio or zoology and then chemistry. And uh, another sort of application requirement is a minimum of seven hours of observation time in a veterinary clinic or a job. So having a job is not required for you to apply to the program. So complete the gen eds. We do our, we're not an open enrollment program. There are some that are open enrollment, but we do um, have a limited capacity for you know, size of class. So once we get all the applications in, we sort of review them. We look at GPA. We look at the science-specific GPA. We look at experience in the field. We also look at what uh, general education courses have been completed and are out of the way. And then we pull everybody in for a face-to-face -face interview. And then we select our class based on all of that information. So there's several people that are involved in the uh, application committee and everybody looks at all the applications and then we're all kind of in the interview process as well. And do you guys require a letter of recommendation at your particular community college program? We do. That's one of the last things on, on the list of things to submit. There's a, a, you know, an application that kind of is pretty basic as far as, you know, submit your transcripts and, you know, tell us what experience you've got and what your GPA is. And, and then, um, yeah, so the recommendation letters too is what we prefer. And it's really nice if one of those recommendation letters can come from a veterinarian or a registered veterinary technician. Um, but a lot of people will have them, you know, come from college professors or, or things like that as well. And I just want to make sure this point is clear for people who may potentially not have any experience in the veterinary field coming to you it's not a requirement, right? What are things that you look for in those letters of recommendation that maybe a person without veterinary experience would get picked over a person that has more per se? Yeah. So that's, that's a great question. And, you know, we are, our, our class is made up of people that have experience and people that have no experience. And so typically those who don't have any experience, you know, we look at what qualities they come with and, and those qualities that we look for in a technician, um, you know, compassion and an ability to assimilate information. And, um, you know, a lot of those, if they do come from a professor, then we kind of have an idea of what your study skills are like and what your study habits are like. And they have, you know, usually things to, to fill us in with as far as that goes. So, you know, sometimes people will come without actual a clinic experience, but maybe they volunteer in a shelter or things like that. So just because you don't work in a clinic doesn't mean that you don't have any animal experience. 
Okay. And what about the gen eds? You know, you spoke there was kind of the minimum requirement to get in, and that's something that you would recommend having done first, right? Yeah. So there's there's sort of two terms that are that are thrown around, I guess, and one of them would be a prerequisite, which truly means that has to be completed before you apply to the program. Right. And then you've got your courses, which we sort of call general education or gen eds sometimes you'll hear. And so those courses have to be completed before you graduate. And you can't take your national exam until you've completed those gen ed courses. Some of that is a little bit fluid. Um, You can take a a couple of those courses on top of your vet tech, you know, program courses. But I always say, if you have the chance to get those out of the way beforehand, it's a really good idea. Vet tech programs are challenging. And so to throw a microbiology class on top of an already challenging schedule can be a lot. And so if people have the opportunity to get those out of the way, I definitely recommend it. Yeah. And we'll talk about semester structure breakdown here in a minute, but I'm sure it only gets more difficult as you go along. I had all mine done before I joined in your program and it was still a heavy load. I couldn't imagine having anything else on top of that. That would just be crazy. Yeah. And you don't, you know, and it's happened where, you know, that they'll get in and you're, you're sort of thinking about, okay, when's the best time for me to take this last microbiology class or this last, you know, speech class or whatever. And, you know, the worst thing is to be done with the program and still have a gen ed to complete before you can take your exam. Yeah. And that happens occasionally. And usually it's just, you know, kind of one of those things that wasn't planned, but Yeah, because for community college, with how it runs on the regular school year structure, you graduate right on top of that perfect window where you can come right out of school, take your exam within the next 60 to 90, I think it goes through August, right? 60 Mm -hmm. to 90 days. And boy, all that information is just so fresh and right there. And you can't even apply for one of those windows unless you have that degree. So even if you took that last gen ed right after you graduated in that next summer semester, you'd still have to wait till the next testing window in the fall, early winter. And you're just sitting on all that information for six months and hoping you recall it all. Right, right. Exactly. All right. So got our application in, made it through the interview process with the board. Yay. We're accepted into a community (laughs) college program. So these typically, like I said, run on the school year schedules. So August-ish, late August through May. And then you guys break down into four semesters. So two semesters your first year, summer uh, preceptorship, right? That's what you guys call it there. It is. And so technically that would be a, considered a semester as well because okay. it's, it's a short semester, but it's still a course that you, you know, pay for and get a grade for. Oh, that's right. I remember now I had to pay to work <laughs> that summer. Yes, I do recall. And then you come into your second year and you do your third and fourth semester and then you have graduation. And we've talked a lot and alluded a lot to how the material builds. So we'll kind of break that down a little bit more for you in more detail. So maybe you have a little deeper understanding of why all these classes matter. I remember when I saw my first year schedule, there was a class labeled animal science one and animal science two. And I was really confused because I have a minor in animal science from a state university. And I didn't understand why (laughs) I needed more animal science, but it's different. It's all different. So all of the classes within the veterinary technician programs are required. They're mandatory, regardless of what other degrees you have coming in because of learning the medicine, anatomy, and physiology, and all these things that come along with being a credentialed technician. So, okay, it's August, late August, and we're coming into semester one. What would be the, what would we be expecting, Natalie? Well, you'd be expecting to be a little bit overwhelmed, probably. (laughs) You are correct. (laughs) I, I see the looks on their faces. I mean, here's the thing is, is, with the program, you're, you're coming into all these classes, but then there's also this other component of, just like you said, we're telling you, we expect you to remember all this information throughout this time. And, and there's a reason for that. And then we also have an animal care component. So, um, 
you know, not all community colleges have the luxury of housing animals on site, but we do. And so there's a whole component of you have a kennel rotation each semester that you're here and what all does that entail? And at some point you become a supervisor for incoming students and, um, you know, what the animals go through. And, you know, we have a, an advocate program where you're paired with an animal and that animal is sort of um, yours for the semester and you get to be their voice. And, you know, we're talking about also our facility being regulated by the USDA and what does that mean for, for you and, and the care of this facility. So there's a lot of information that gets tossed out. Um, now that's in addition to all of the tests and reading and assignments <laughs> and, and everything that you're getting in the syllabus anyway. Yeah. So it's a lot. It's a lot of information. And, and the um, animal care for your program specifically, we're not talking one or two dogs and a resident kitty. I don't remember the specific numbers that you guys have every semester, but what is the average or general? So usually 12 to 14 dogs and 12 to 14 cats. Right. So sometimes, you know, just depending on how many students we have and things like that, we may change it. Or, or sometimes the shelter says, we just have this one extra cute little <laughs> chihuahua. Can you please take it? He doesn't eat very much. He's yeah. five pounds. <laughs> Right. <laughs> okay. So yeah. Just yeah. Depends, and, so. and this is cleaning, feeding, watering, walking, medicating. medicating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a lot of additional care on top of the studies that the students rotate through. Right. And I will say, you know, a lot of people have the tendency to sort of dread the kennel rotation, <laughs> but for, for, for people in this world, this is the base of everything that we do. And there are certain things that I just can't teach you. I can't teach you compassion. I can sort of lead you with observation skills, but there's nothing to teach you observation skills like actually doing it. And it, it can be a really rewarding experience if you allow it to be, um, you know, people coming in, they've had no experience. And so sometimes this is their first um, sort of kennel experience. And then I also have people come in that have, you know, maybe worked in clinics that are not doing things the way that they should be. And so they, they learn some things that way. So just because you come in with experience doesn't mean that you don't get something out of that rotation as well. I just remember it was nice when kennels was during an exam week because I would take <laughs> that week off work because you have kennels. Yes. You don't have any time for anything else but school and kennels. And so I had all this extra time on my hands to do a little extra studying for, right? So that was, that's another perk uh, for any of you out there who might be starting on this journey, a little extra study time. Right. Okay. And so, you know, semester one is where we're starting on those foundations with anatomy and physiology. I can't remember where were there general anesthesia labs starting right in the first semester or towards the end. Is that so for first year students, they don't get into anesthesia until the second semester. So we're laying the groundwork for just like you said, anatomy, physiology, how do things work? Pharmacology. Then can, yeah. Then we can start talking about once you know how all, how all that stuff is supposed to look and supposed to be and supposed to work, then we start thinking, well, what happens when we have a disease process? What happens when we throw anesthesia in there? How does that affect you know, different. So we, so we start putting those things together kind of critically, but that first semester is just getting everybody kind of at a base level. You know, we're talking about muscles and bones and cells and, you know, those type of things. And then, you know, in labs, you're learning basic things like behavior and restraint and how to perform a physical exam and how to be safe in a veterinary clinic and take care of yourself in a veterinary clinic. <laughs> so, yeah. That's sort of the first semester. The first, how things go. And math, I think we learned math in yes. the first semester. So. Math is the first semester course as well. And a lot of people are very scared of math. And <laughs> the math that's typically taken in a vet tech program is very specific towards your degree. So, you know, you're not going to be doing calculus and crazy crazy yes. math that you're not going to use. This is math that you will use every single day. Yes. Um, and you know, so I, I will say I had that experience myself as a student that, you know, I went up through calculus in high school into the first years of university. And then coming back to veterinary technology, I was like, oh, crap, more math. I can't do math. Math is terrible. But there's something about this math where there's the real component to it. So 
you know that this dog needs this many kilograms, this many milligrams per kilogram of weight. Well, I can see this dog. I can physically Mm -hmm. see that he weighs this many kilograms and the math is just so different and so real that I feel like the difficulty level is much, much lower because you can, you can see it. It's math. You can see. Yeah. I think, I think that that is the case once you get into it, but a lot of people are just so scared of math. And I think that people's fear of math (laughs) sometimes prevents them from, from doing something like this because they're like, Oh, of all the things that you have to worry about, they're just, they're scared of the math part. And it's like, that's such a small, you know, it's a, it's a one hour class. And, um, you know, we're here to help you through that, but don't be scared of the math. It's, it's, I don't know if I could say it's fun math, but I like math. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a fight or flight thing though, Natalie. And and a lot of us choose flight when it comes to math because that is just, (laughs) woo. So that's kind of what semester one looks like. And then you get the fun winter break where you just worry a lot where you've, Mm -hmm. that you've forgotten everything that you've just learned and stress out. And then you come back for semester two and realize you didn't forget maybe as much as you thought you did and start in there. And so semester two is where some of the fun stuff begins a a lot more in-depth hands-on things with some anesthesia labs, but those don't start right away though. Right. Don't we do some refreshing and yeah. So we kind of start with we'll start with sort of review, you know, kind of with some fluid therapy and, you know, different things that maybe we ended the semester with. And then as far as lab portions go and hands-on things, you know, are, are concerned, we start with blood collection. You know, you've learned the anatomy now, let's go learn how to collect blood. Let's go, you know, learn how to monitor anesthesia. So you've learned the processes that the body has, the normal physiologic processes. Now let's talk about drugs and the things that we use on a daily basis in these animals. And so that's kind of the start of where things become cumulative when we talk about, you know, having to remember what a normal TPR is on a dog so that you know when you give a medication how is that going to affect that, you know, knowing what things what structures you're avoiding when you give IM injections and giving those IM injections and we also start ClinPath in in the second semester. Yeah. So ClinPath's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Super fun. I feel like ClinPath, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like ClinPath is one of those like love it or hate it type things. Yes. Like you, and even as a professional, there's, Mm -hmm. we're all just kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of mediocre at ClinPath, not my fave. And then there's these weird people on the other side (laughs) that are like, I love ClinPath. Yes, that's true. And I feel the same about radiology. I'm on the... (laughs) But then there are people that are just like, I love radiology. I love ultrasounds. And, and so, yeah, I think ClinPath is one of those things that, you know, sometimes people just really have a knack for it. Yeah. And really good at it. Um, I think that one of the sad things to me is I think that ClinPath is challenging because we are not doing enough of it in practice. I and agree so, with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved making blood smears and just like, Hey, this dog's anemic. Let me just see what's going on. And I, I don't think, I think we're relying too heavily on outside labs and that could be a whole nother conversation. But I think that the chance to implement and practice those things in practice are not, um, not there as much. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I will admit I've been in mixed animal and it's mobile practice uh, for the last five or so years. So, you know, when you're mobile, you don't really have, you don't Mm -hmm. have the lab with you and and sometimes you're out all day long. So we utilize sending things out to a lab really heavily. And honestly, I can't tell you the last time I looked at a blood smear myself (laughs) just because I bet you could still make one though. I can, (laughs) I have learned the best way and I've been spreading, spreading the wealth, sharing the knowledge because (laughs) it is the best way. Um, but yeah, it's just, we just don't have that kind of time in a mobile practice. So I totally agree with you. I think that's right. Some of those skills just get really underutilized and then you, you get rusty after a while. Mm -hmm. You have to learn it at some point. So this is where we do semester two, start our clean path. And so yeah, over- because when, a, when a doctor does say to you, Hey, can you look at a blood smear? I mean, you might have the look of terror, but you might, t- it may take you a minute to say, okay, <laughs> I remember how to do that. And I can at least get it stained and on the microscope. And then it'll all just start flooding back when you're looking at it as, as the hope. 
It's true. Um, yeah, it does. You know, I've looked at several FNAs over the course of the last few years, and and I'll admit that is not a strong thing for me either. But I at least know what to look for to be like, ooh, that's bad. That looks bad. <laughs> that's <laughs> you angry. know, so that yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so even if you're not good, you know, this is this is that great point where you at least learn those basics where you can be like, uh-uh, or no, I think <laughs> it's okay. Why don't you double check me? But I think it's okay. And and you know, things like your analysis, I've I've read several of those over the last couple of years, and I'm I'm confident in that that skill that I learned that I feel like in the grand world of Clin Path is a pretty minor skill, but still a skill. So it's probably one of the ones that's still most commonly you know, utilized in, in practice. It's uh, yeah. not a ton of people are sending, um, urines out because the change changes so fast. But, um, if there's a skill that is probably used most, I'd, I'd probably say urine. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Urine for sure. And fecal. So learn how to learn how to do those fecal exams as well in, in this semester here. So semester two, okay. We got through semester two. Now we've got kind of a good, I would say like a good base working knowledge of what it is to be a credential technician, because now we're moving into summer where we, we pay to work. Um, <laughs> and that's our goal is really to provide you like the, the, like you said, the base for what are you going to see in practice? What's going to come in and it'll be cool and exciting and fun. And it'll be also reinforcing a lot of the things that you've you know, learned. And that is the best way to learn is to see it in practice and see it affect an animal or see it, uh, your knowledge be required in order to do your job for this patient right here in front of you. Honestly, I think it's a thrilling and exciting thing to experience too, to just be like, Hey, I know what's going on here. I know what we need to do about it. I know how to do this kind of stuff. You know, I know we need to collect blood and I know how to perform that skill. And yeah, it's, it's a really exciting time in your life. I feel like as a new little technician, I still, it's still exciting for me. Oh, I (laughs) I know it's still, I mean, I still, it's just one of those things when, when you, you can see, you know, you can predict things and know what somebody's going to need or, you know, look, look at this case and I'm going to go ahead and get things out to do an x-ray because it looks like, you know, I mean, it's just putting all that stuff together is all so interesting. Or you hear the doctor talking on the phone and you're like, that used to be uh, a foreign language to me. And now I totally understand what they're saying. And yeah, that's definitely one of the thrills I still get. And I think that's what differentiates people between wanting to grow up and be a veterinarian and wanting to grow up and be a veterinary technician is because I do love getting to know a doctor so well that I'm like, okay, we're seeing this, this, and this, hold on. I'll be right back, run to the truck, get everything that we need. And we got it done in way less time because I already know what's going to happen. I already know what they need. And you're right. That is, that's one of the best feelings really. So, okay, we got through summer, we survived summer, (laughs) and with this program, oh, I did want to touch on this, Natalie, because I have heard from some other students in in other programs, I can't remember if they were community college or private programs or what, but in some programs, you cannot do your externship or preceptorship, your summer hours at the same place that you've already worked, but that's hmm. not always necessarily the case, right? I seem to remember I, I was able to stay at my place of employment. Oh yeah. 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 I would say the majority of students who already have a job, the majority of them are staying where they, where they currently work. And now they're given a list of tasks that they need to sort of be looking at completing over the summer. And so, um, you know, you have options. I always tell students it, it is a nice time that internship because it is a set amount of hours. If you have worked in a practice for a few years and you want to try something different, that's a perfect time to do it because you can say, okay, I'm going to take this summer, these 400 hours over the summer or however many hours it is. And I'm going to go work in a, in a mixed animal practice, or I'm going to go do an internship at the zoo because I have a real interest in zoo medicine. Um, or, you know, whatever the case is, you know, emergency clinic. And so it gives you an opportunity to maybe step away for a second, but still have the opportunity to go back. You like your practice, but you really wanted to experience something because I will say, once you get out of school, people have a tendency to be less, oh, what's the word? Like adventurous Yeah, and and, and say, oh, I want to try that. Like I always thought emergency medicine seemed really cool. And I always wished that I had 
maybe stepped out of my comfort zone a little bit to try something like that. Well, and after you're out of school, the dynamic changes as well, because, you know, when you're in school and you have this time, they know you're a student, they know you're not going to be sticking around. They, they're a little extra forgiving, forgiving because Mm -hmm. they know that you're in the middle of a program, you're still learning. But then once you're out of school, you're a, you're a big girl technician now. So (laughs) you either get hired and work for us full time, or I don't know what to tell you. So some of those opportunities are just lost based on where you are in your education as well. Mm -hmm. So, oh, I remember what I was thinking, the local community college where I am in Washington, they actually do require that you do three, three three-week rotations and they have to be in different hospitals. I think one can be in the hospital you're working in, but the other two, they force you to go to a different place just so you get more of that experience. You know, I have come across that. And I have also come across places where it's like, these are our 10 hospitals that we work with and you have to work at one of these. And I don't, you know, we haven't had much of a problem um, with our situation in the past, the way that we, you know, allow people a little bit of a freedom to do that. But I I do kind of like the idea of of forcing you to take a a rotation or, or two in you know, emergency or something like that, or specialty, just to really make, you know, make sure that you get exposed to some of that stuff. But you know, that does some of these people, this is their full-time job. And so oftentimes like those rotations may or may not be paid. I know that the the zoo internship, it's not a paid internship. And Mm -hmm. so that for some people, that's not feasible. Yeah, definitely. So definitely make sure you pay attention to that when you're signing up for a community college, you know, that, that might be a con for you. If you are looking at a place that has a really strict structure that you might have to leave your job for a couple of weeks, and that might not fit into where you are at that certain point in your life. So make sure you check out those variables that can happen within the community college programs. But we made it through summer, got all of our tasks signed off and completed that we know how to do these things. And now we would be coming into semester three. So officially a second year student in a two-year program. What? It's, it's such a cool time when, to watch <laughs> these. Because we've been, you know, summertime for us is really, there's a lot of downtime. We're taking care of equipment maintenance and inventory and all that stuff. And so we get excited to get students and animals back in the, yeah. in the building. And it's also just every, the energy of people coming back and then sharing their experiences and then feeling kind of like a little bit taller because I'm a second year this year. And, and like you, you can kind of have these first year students coming in and you just kind of want to like help them and, and give them <laughs> some confidence and reassurance. And it's, it's really great. And I will say just in the situation that we're in right now with COVID and everything, our second year students have been so amazing in trying to help these first year students that they don't get to see very often. And we're not getting to get together. We're not getting to have luncheons and we're not getting to do our social events and things like that. They have set up some zoom meetings and some different things so that they could sort of be there for them. And it's been, it's just, it's really kind of touching to see that dynamic when you come back and you feel like you want to give back. Yeah. You know what you got. Well, it's so, it's such a difficult And it can be emotionally trying at times. And so, you know, I remember my feelings towards the first year students was, was like that. Like, I just want to help you. You'll survive. (laughs) I promise we all made it here. You'll get there. Mm -hmm. So because you remember when you come back, you're in that building and you're like, oh gosh, I remember, you know, you see them coming in with their little faces and their (laughs) backpacks and their, you know, and you're like, oh, I remember what that felt like. And so it's, it's a good, it's a good thing. I think one of my most distinct memories of coming back the first day as a second year was first year students. We get those little habsy lockers, those teeny weeny lockers <laughs> that you can like fit nothing in. And you come back as a second year and you're like, yes, I full length locker. locker. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty amazing in that moment yeah. in time. But okay. So third and And my other fond memories of being a second year student is, you know, I'm a mixed mobile practice Mm -hmm. gal these days. I grew up on a farm. Large animals are my jam. And that is what happens in second year. It's so fun. The atmosphere is just really kind of 
a different atmosphere. And, you know, for people like you, you're like, this is what I've waited for. And, <laughs> a whole and <laughs> year. <laughs> and it's so exciting and it's fun and you get to, you know, kind of show off a little bit. And, and then for those students who are like, I've never even like been within 10 feet of a cow. <laughs> and then they you get know, pooped on or yes, I, I won't so name names, but someone in my class got bit by a cow and a report had to be filed with campus police. Um, yeah, I think yep. I might know who that is. Yep. So yeah. fun experiences for farm people. <laughs> it really is. And, you know, to just like get to be that close and, and to be doing things with an animal that you're like, I've never, you know, worked with this animal before. And I, now I know how to be safe around them and how to draw blood from them and how to care for them and, and stuff. It's, it's a pretty cool class. I mean, I think that there are some people who are like, ew, I, I, I'm never doing this. And they just do it because they have to. And I would say even those people, even if they might not admit it, probably had a little bit of fun Yeah, <laughs> at some point. I feel like uh, it was the cows pooping just with the people that I was grouped with and rotating through the different mm-hmm. large animal species in semester three. I think it was the splatting of the cows pooping <gasps> that seemed to like gross people out the most, the people who weren't exposed to this before. And it's, it's usually yeah. either that or the, or the smell of the pigs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good call. The smell yeah. of the pigs. Yeah. Yes. That still is not my favorite thing yeah. in the world. <laughs> yes. So that's usually, I, I think, am I recalling correctly, the, the first half of your third semester, you get to have all this fun with the large animals and, and then go back into small animal anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Test out your skills there. Definitely. So we're also in clin path two at that time. So you're, we're sort of this semester is we're taking all of your skills, we're adding in some different species. And then we're also, then we kind of towards the end of the semester get to where we go back to small animal, but we're sort of finessing all of your techniques and things like that. So it's a little bit of a a mixture of things, but you've had the opportunity to practice those things in your preceptorship. And so now we come back and we get, you know, you know how to draw blood. Now you get really good at it and really smooth and really efficient at it. And same thing with catheter placements and uh, endotracheal tubes and, you know, all those kind of things. And this is when we really start to get more heavy into those actual nursing skills and and really getting the fine tune on those before we graduate. And again, all these things at this point, we're accumulating knowledge. So the first semester you learned normal physical exam findings. Second semester, you started learning um, what drug what anesthesia drug names were and what categories they fit in and, and um, that kind of thing. This semester, we're actually giving those, those drugs and, and seeing how they affect the animal physiologically and what changes you have. And this semester and in the fourth semester, how do I respond to that? What do I need to do to change that animal physiologically, you know, to fix its blood pressure or to, you know, to change its low respiratory rate? And you, we're doing independent math at this point too, correct? They, yeah. The drug protocols are given and you're responsible for figuring them out, having them checked. And yeah, so that's definitely. where our math comes back in here. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that about covers semester three there. So then we have another lovely winter break, stressing out again, because we've learned tons of new things. Coming then back, you're, and you're starting to think about how close that exam is getting too. I, I know. <laughs> starting to have a little extra stress added on because yeah, yeah and when you come back and you're in semester four, that window registration for that the window that you can sit right after you graduate, that window of registration is actually during your fourth semester. I, I think it was like April or something like that. And so you have to think about that while you're going through your fourth semester if you want to make sure you can sit pretty soon after you graduate to take your national exam. So yeah, fourth semester, we're starting to think about some real life stuff. I know I was already looking at my state exams. I knew Mm -hmm. I was coming to Washington and on the phone with them and dealing with my state exams, they actually freaked me out hard and said they lost my answer sheet and I was going to have to take it again. So I had a slight mental breakdown about halfway through my fourth semester over that issue. Then they were like, just kidding. (laughs) So yeah, lots of things going on, getting ready to enter the real world as a credentialed technician in our fourth semester. But yep. we 
in, in your particular program, at least finishing up small animal labs and then finishing out some large animal stuff. Yeah. So our, our fourth semester, we try, we try and prepare. I mean, our goal is to prepare you for any field that you're going to go in within veterinary technology. And so we do um, have, uh, this is where we have equine courses. And so you have equine lab kind of in there as well. And then also laboratory animal species. So mice, rabbits, oh, right. yes. rabbits chickens. I blacked so, that part out. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and people will say, oh, I mean, we, Joan has a story about a student that she had before I came and, and she hated the pig rotation. I mean, with a passion, very vocal about it and said, I'm never going to do this. And actually about six or so years later, ended up working in a swine research facility. What? <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, you never know what, you know, people say, I'm not going to ever do research. Well, I mean, there's a lot of information that comes along with that, that you have no idea you've never been exposed right. to it. So you, there's some pretty cool stuff that, that happens. And so we do throw all of those species in as well. Um, and then this is really the time where we're kind of stepping back and we're cutting that cord and we're, you know, expecting you to come to the plate with, you know, this is, we actually have our second year students, our last semester students create drug protocols. Instead of me telling you what your anesthetic protocol is going to be, you take the signalment and the case that you have as, you know, whatever surgery it is. And you come to me with okay. a full multimodal, um, you know, anesthetic protocol that covers pain, that covers post-op that, um, you know, fits into your animal's situation. Yeah. So that's kind of fun. I mean, that one's kind of fun. I think that one's a little intimidating for yeah. students, but, um, you know, those are real life decisions that you can make as, as a, as a qualified technician. Yeah. I must have blacked that part out too. Uh, must have been um, super stressful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not been our entire. I mean, like I've been there. Gosh, what um, twelve years now? So we didn't always do that. That was something that we've added um, probably within the past six years, maybe. But that's um, great because, like you said, it does stretch those muscles and say, okay, we're gonna have a spay done on this dog today. Mm -hmm what drugs do we need to use? This drug doesn't provide the best analgesia. We probably right. shouldn't use that and, mm -hmm. and figure out an appropriate, like you said, multimodal protocol for these pets and be able to have the knowledge to do that. Yeah. And so again, just reiterating first semester, you learned normal second semester, you learned the drugs, third semester, you use the drugs, fourth semester, you pick the drugs. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just one topic that you can kind of take over the course of the, the two years and look at how we change and evolve the information and, and sort of build on yeah. the basics. That is a perfect real life example though, because, you know, we just keep saying it builds, it builds, it builds, mm -hmm. but that is a perfect actual example of how it builds. And if we miss any of those pieces, then we can't do the fourth step. There's, right. It's just not possible. So and that's not, that's not fair to your patients. No, exactly. You're right. It is not fair at all. So now that's about semester four. Then we're there mm -hmm. at the end of the blocks. We've learned how to work on horses, uh, comfortable with our small animal skills, from top to bottom, our basic skills. And I want to reiterate that, guys, that we're not coming out of this program and stepping into clinics and them saying, here you go. Clinics know and understand what this process is and what it should look like when you're done. So should they be able to hand a dog over to you and say, I need you to draw blood from this dog or place an IV catheter on this dog? Absolutely. You should be able to do those things. But should they have advanced nursing skills being passed on to your plate right away? No, these are basic skills that we're learning. So you can start at the bottom and work your way up from there and amass the knowledge from working in practice, practicing and building even further on these skills every day. So just remember right. that and keep that in mind. You know, I see that a lot with a lot of newbies. They're just absolutely terrified that the DVM is going to have unreal expectations. So you're not, you're not coming out of school expected to, to do an epidural. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's, this is an entry. This is preparing you for an entry level position. 
which there's a lot of knowledge needed for just an entry level position. And then you build, Yes. but then, but then in practice, if somebody, you know, if we are learning to do epidurals and you've got the anatomy, you've got the drugs, you've got the precautions, you've got all the information. Now you're just getting your hands to do what your brain knows. Exactly. And uh, I actually worked with a DVM that had a really good philosophy, see one, do one, teach Mm -hmm. one. And I feel like that was just amazing because you can, in real practice, you can say, okay, I know this, this, and this about this procedure. I know I can perform it, but I've never seen it in real life. So can you show me so that I can Mm -hmm. see all these steps in my brain come into real life? Okay. I watched it. Perfect. Now, next time I can make my hands do it. And then by the third time, relaying the information to another person, you're just solidifying all those things that you've learned. So remember that too, when you're coming out into practice, see one, do one, teach one. This is the method that you should be implementing to move along and further your education and your your practical skills. And speaking of practical skills, there's also throughout the entire program, the AVM hate, yeah, you're laughing because we all dread and hate them so much. We do, we, I mean, we don't <laughs> dread them, but it, it's one of those necessary evils and we, it is. we totally yes. get it. I understand even at the time, you know, I'm, I'm a little, I don't feel quite as, uh, traumatized. Yes. <laughs> yes you know, looking back on them, but at the time, these AVMA skill set sheets, it was just like the bane of your existence while you're going through programs. But why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is, Natalie, and, and how these look? So we have to have some sort of standardization. We have to have everybody coming out of a program saying, these people know how to do these skills. And so AVMA created this basically giant task list that said every student coming out of this program needs to have performed these tasks at a minimum. And so what we did in our program, and it may be different in other programs, but we broke it up into where are these skills most performed. And then we kind of took those skills and put the, an AVMA sheet for each one of those classes. And then a student basically, you know, has to show proficiency in those tasks before they can get signed off on it. So you don't get a sign off on your very first blood collection. You wait until you're proficient at it, and then you get a sign off for it. So what this kind of prevents is, and when I was in school, a million years ago, um, (laughs) you know, we still had lab groups and we did things very similarly, but you'd have this list of tasks and nobody was like, you know, if, if you were the, if you were the person, probably Kendra, you and I are similar. If nobody wanted to do it, Hey, give it to me. I'll do it. You know, Uh, I I, I mean, I gave the other people an opportunity, but I was not afraid to stand up and say, I want to practice that. Give it to me. But if you were the person that really stood back and was very passive and shy and never took, um, you know, never advocated for yourself, then you could get out of those labs without, without getting the practice in those things and without doing them. And we didn't know it because there was no tracking of that stuff. And so I, I will say that it is making sure that every student gets an equal opportunity to, to do some of those things. And it also does make them a little bit more, it gives them a little bit more of a voice for themselves mm-hmm. because they know they have to complete them. So they have to speak up and say, I want to do this today. I want to sign off on my feline endotracheal intubation today. And so then you do have a group that sort of realizes that everybody's in the same boat and they're very supportive of help helping each other get things signed off and prioritize things. So I think it overall has been a good thing, but I do know that for students, it is a very overwhelming thing because yeah. you, know, you get a list at the beginning of the semester and it's two pages long, but that's over the course of the semester and, and you have control over, you know, when you, when you do those things. And so, it's a, it's a ranking. I think it was on a scale to four. Am I remembering uh-huh. that correctly? Yep. So you basically get points for, did you prepare the items correctly? Did you prepare the animal correctly? Um, Did you complete the task and how was your technique? So you've got some areas to, you know, even if you didn't complete it, that you you still get your, your points or whatever, just because you, you, you knew what you were doing. You know, we don't, we all have days where we don't hit that vessel that we wanted to, or catheter in. I mean, that still happens. I don't get a four every day. (laughs) I just had a mini last week that I was like, she just doesn't have a jugular vein. (laughs) She just doesn't have one. Yeah. So it totally still happens to us in real life all the time, but, but you have to know the anatomy and the skills required to be able to complete it. And 
And that's how we judge is with those ABMA skill sets. And Mm -hmm. I do highly recommend guys that you do keep on top of these. I do remember students in my class that would have like six left to do on the last lab day. And it's just not possible to get that kind of stuff done. So make sure that you advocate for yourself. I worked in a couple of great groups throughout my education that we would help and share with each other and say, okay, you need to do intubation. You need to sign off on that today. So I, I'll wait and do that next lab. You do that today. I'll do IV catheter today so I can get that signed off on. So open communication with your your students, your fellow lab partners, things like that will really help with keep these keeping these up and making sure we don't get super behind and, and try and cram them all in the last day. I think you guys would tell us too, like, yeah, We're not doing we all these and, skills on the last yeah. day. <laughs> right. Well, we try and keep, you know, we've started sort of looking at things maybe halfway through just to try and catch some of those people who are really, you know, behind. Because if you've got 10 things to sign off on the very last day of lab, you're not doing those skills well. Yeah. You're just doing it to get through the sign off. And, yep. and that's not the purpose of it. That's not the purpose of those sign off sheets. It's to really allow yourself the flexibility to be, to practice and then be proficient. So I, I think that you're spot on when that's one of the biggest pieces of advice for those AVMA sheets is don't be afraid to just stay on top of them and get things done. You cannot wait till the last minute on all of them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was pretty much everything I had to chat about today, Natalie. You know, I kind of wanted to wrap up a little bit with with maybe some minor pros and cons if, if you have any off the top of your head. The pros for me... I think that list could go on and on. I can't advocate heavily enough for community college programs. I am totally biased because I went to an absolutely fantastic program, but I learned so much there and it's been evident in all the jobs that I've had that my foundation is so strong from going to this program Mm -hmm. that it's just done nothing but help me along the way. The only... (laughs) I say the only, I'm sure if I thought about it, maybe I could think of more cons, but the only con I could think of off the top of my head is, you know, people don't always have the luxury of being able to have this strict schedule that comes along with a community college program. So Maple Woods, for example, we go Monday through Thursday and you either go for a, uh, I think it's a four hour ish chunk in the morning or a four hour ish chunk in the afternoon. And those are strictly scheduled. And so, you know, if you don't have that luxury to be able to be present during those times, maybe some other institution like a private where they have morning, afternoon and evening class options would be a little bit better for you. But what are your thoughts, Natalie? Yeah, I mean, I see that as a potential con, but I also see if you if you want that best education and that's what you want, then then I mean, when I went through school, I sacrificed because that's what I wanted and I knew that's what would give me the yeah. best education. I still yeah. worked at I would say most of my students do work, but I worked probably about 35 hours a week when I, I did went too. to school. Yeah. I mean, I worked full time. You know, mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it can be done. It really can be done. And sometimes you got to get creative and things like that. But you, you mentioned something early on about, oh, I just lost it. <laughs> oh, about, um, you know, how do I know what school to choose? And you said something about, you know, the veterinarian saying, you know, this place is like you were in looking in Kansas and you ended up finding Missouri. That's a great, that's a great way to find who has a good reputation within your community is to go and call some veterinarians and ask them where, who produces the best technicians. And time and time again, they will tell you it tends to be the on-site students that, that actually perform a little bit better. Yeah. Um, on their boards, but then also in person, because there's just the dynamic of it is so different. When you, when you do things online, it's a different learning environment. It's just different. And for some people that, that, that might, that might be okay. Well, Um, I mean, the proof is in the pudding, you know, you guys are in the (laughs) Kansas city metro area and any clinic in, in my experience and my networking and veterinary medicine in the Kansas city area if you come in and say, I graduated from Maple Woods, they say, when can you start? Yes. You know, I mean, the <laughs> reputation is just there. There there are other options in the Kansas City area for private institutions and, and obviously online is an option too. But if you say you went to Maple Woods, the, the reputation is so stellar, they don't even hesitate to give you a job. And so, yeah, definitely check that out within the community and the veterinary network where you are and, and see what the best option is. All right. Well, how about a tech tip, Natalie? You gave us a really great one on the last episode with 
remembering to journaling, journal, take photos of the process and, and really be present. And as I get a little older and further from these things and, and they kind of are starting to leave my mind or fade into the shadows. I feel like yeah. that was a great one. Do you have any other, you, just... don't you wish you could go back and read how you felt on this day or this day? <sighs> man? I, the I do. Only... I mean, I do. Cause I'm older than you and I start to forget. <laughs> What was yeah. it like to be a brand new baby technician? Yeah, because you know? the feelings that I predominantly feel about tech school is, okay, only three more exams and I've put this behind <laughs> me. Only one more exam and I've put this behind me. And and now, you know, years down the line, I'm like, yeah, that those would be nice feelings to go back and, and re-experience or think mm-hmm. about. Um, or remember the dog that you were assigned that semester or think, you know, I mean, just different things that would happen. Yeah. But I, I, so I, I definitely, that's still one of my biggest things for people is to enjoy the experience. But, um, you know, when you're in school too, is a good time to sort of learn from your peers and your instructors. And one thing that I, Joan and I both feel very strongly about passing on is getting involved in your technician community. You know, there are local technician organizations, national technician organizations, state technician organizations, or if you don't have what you want, then you create your own. And we, we did that here in the Kansas city area. And so that kind of coupled with um, being an advocate for you, and that goes along with being an advocate for yourself. And we know that this, this profession is very difficult and challenging. And I think people can get really sucked into negative social media and things like that. And so I think that you really just need to be careful about where you choose to put your extra time and and effort because a lot of that stuff is kind of negative. Yeah. And so I agree. I would say, don't be an idiot like me and go to school in one place and then move 2000 miles away after you've already made connections. Not the smartest thing I've done in my career, but Hey, (laughs) it is what it is at this point. So, all right. Well, that wraps us up for today, guys. Natalie, thank you so much for your time. This has just been wildly educating and a wonderful walk down memory lane for I me. I know. It's fun. It's yeah. fun. It's fun. It definitely is. Some of them are traumatizing memories coming back right, to the right. surface, but <laughs> no, it was really great overall. So I appreciate it so much. And I really hope, guys, that you learned something from this and about how community college works. Do keep in mind that, you know, this is one community college, one glimpse into it. They don't all run exactly the same, but I feel like this overview, Natalie, you probably have more exposure with some of your your colleagues and peers to speak more to this, but I feel like the, the big picture is probably the same, right? It is, yeah. I mean, you might have an occasional program that doesn't work on a semester system or does things slightly different or don't, you know, they don't have animals on site, but we, you know, we learn from each other within our community too. And so we learn what works and then this works. This works. Yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. It does. Well, thanks for joining me today, guys. You can catch me on. Oh, absolutely. Natalie. It was a pleasure. You can join, you can join me on Kendra, the vet tech on Facebook. You can shoot me over a message at Kendra, the vet tech at gmail.com. If you guys have any questions about this or any previous episodes, or if you have topics you'd like discussed in upcoming episodes. Thanks guys.